Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Join us on our journey into the past, the present, and the future as we explore the relationship between technology and humanity. Together, we are going to find out what it means to live in a society where everything is connected and the only constant is change. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Nintex is the global standard for business process management and automation. The Nintex platform helps their clients accelerate progress on their digital transformation journeys by quickly and easily managing, automating, and optimizing business processes. Learn more at Nintex.com. Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. Marco. Sean. Are you ready for an argument? I am ready for an argument. I don't, I don't know. I'm not going to fight you. Um, you know, we, we just launched a new uh, channel, so I, that, that, that makes me think about that one, the compromise. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm happy to discuss with you where I think that there are places for compromise, but I'm going to push where I think that there are needless <laughs> barriers to entry um, that are just foolishness. <laughs> Exactly. exactly, exactly. And and I love how you're just jumping into this because this is the channel that we call Audio Signals. So somebody just heard your voice. And as every podcast or radio show that uh, should be called such, we should introduce our guest. Sean, let's just get to it. I'm, I'm thrilled to have uh, Dice Rulo on. Uh, we're going to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Many listeners have heard us talk about this. Uh, even still, there's probably a lot of misunderstanding of what it means. I think we're going to get into that as well. Uh, the a few moments, if you would, please, uh, a little bit about yourself and the work you're doing uh, around diversity, inclusion, and, and elsewhere. Yeah, sure. So first of all, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm Dai Cerullo. I am the head of inclusion at JAM in Boston, which is a technology company that works in the blockchain. I won't get into all that. Um, I have recently released a book called Ally Up, which um, focuses on sort of how we think about inclusion in the tech space and uh, gives you kind of the discussion at level zero um, and gives you kind of all the places throughout the employee life cycle where you could be doing more and you could take action items to make your workforce and your, and your greater communities more inclusive. So, so that's what I'm working on right now. Um, and I'm just super duper passionate, as you can clearly see, about everything that I've got going on. So I'm very excited to be here, very excited for this conversation. Yeah, and as Sean mentioned, we, we have been talking about this for a long time, and I keep shaking my head every time that we talk more about this because you know six years later after we we started this publication 
was one of the main topic at the beginning, uh, at the connection, intersection with technology, society, and cybersecurity. And it still is. Uh, we, we heard that many steps have been done. Uh, Somebody is starting to talk the walk, as we like to say, but obviously we're not even in the vicinity or where we have to be. And you decide to write a book. And because we talk about books, a lot of audio signals, I think that's going to be the core of our conversation. So let, let's start with that. Uh, there are many books out there, many conversation, many panel, any conference, you go tech, cybersecurity, we talk about diversity, we look at the news, we always talk about diversity, why are we not practicing <laughs> diversity and inclusion? And is this why you wrote that book or why? So when I, I guess, I guess I got started, um, I'll give you the shortest version of this. So I was, I grew up in foster care um, in the, in Massachusetts. So I moved around a lot. I had people telling me pretty regularly what I needed to do to be successful in their world. Um, and when I aged out of foster care, because I didn't have anyone, I became homeless. So uh, I moved across the country to Atlanta, the way you only can when you're a teenager. Um, with my basket of uh, worldly goods and managed to sort of get better, put myself in therapy. I went to college there. I did really, really well. Um, I was one of 3% of children who graduated from the foster care system to graduate also from college. And then when I sort of came to the end of that journey, I started like looking for jobs and realizing that what they told me about, you know, the, the graduation being the goalpost wasn't really that true because I didn't have access to some of the jobs that my peers had access to who were being recruited from, you know, quote unquote, better schools or, or top 10 schools. So I didn't even have access to those jobs. And it wasn't even that they weren't coming to recruit me because fine, whatever. But like when I reached out to them knowing about the job, they would be like, oh, no, no, no unsolicited resumes. So I kind of got into this space from a place of this stuff is all arbitrary and it is all intended to be barriers to, um, you know, barriers to entry for people. So when I, when I got into people ops, some of the stuff that people would say to me tended to be the same stuff over and over and over again. Um, I'm sure you've heard this quote before, of course we care about diversity, but, and then any variation of that, usually they end it with, we don't wanna lower our standards, quote unquote, right? Well, I'll put a pin in that and come back to why that's just the most absurd thing ever. But also in 2019, when I started writing this book, I had avoided writing this book for a series of years because I didn't think I had anything valuable to add. But then when I was in people, I realized that people didn't know the things I knew and they were acting in such a way that they uh, didn't have the same background, same education, same experiences that I had had and would say absurd things like, oh, you know, we care about diversity. We don't want to lower our standards. Of course, we care about diversity, but this, of course, we care about this. So when I got started writing this book, it was intended to sort of have that conversation in a place where um, people could pick it up and stop having it with me directly. You know, it felt more like maybe we can just, I will just go over these conversations that I've had a bunch of times. I've got hundreds of interviews in there from people on the ground. It just, it made sense at the time when I started writing it in 2019. Now, 2020 happened in America, and suddenly a book that nobody was going to care about, according to everybody that I had spoken to, but I was already pot committed, 
suddenly this was a very important book for people. Suddenly this was something that people wanted to read, something um, that, that kind of gave them that argument from both the tech perspective and both and also the um, you know level zero perspective, as I like to say. So uh, the intent with the book was to get specifically, you know, um, white male or otherwise male BIPOC male CEOs off the sidelines and into the conversation on inclusion in such a way that they felt educated enough to have something um, meaningful to contribute or just a better way to listen. So um, that's what I'm doing here. <laughs> I love it. And I want to touch on two points because you said everybody cares about diversity, but, and then there's a, a variety of uh, finishing mm -hmm. uh, parts to that sentence that, that I believe kind of ends the conversation, right? Of course but, it does. That's like the cutoff. It it's shutting it down. So th there's no open way to, to, to continue the no. conversation from there. Right. And I'm wondering that combined with my, my perception, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this, is does the understanding and the context of diversity change based on who's involved in that, in that interaction? So you asking the question, do you care about diversity? And they say, yes, I do. But versus a black male versus uh, an Indian female versus whomever, um, does it, does it yeah. change? And, and does that really stop the conversation? So when a CEO or somebody on the C-suite will say to me, of course, we care about diversity, but it doesn't really matter how they end that sentence because my grandmother used to tell me that anything that somebody says before the word but in the sentence, anything that somebody says after the word but in a sentence, like that's what they really think. Anything they say before that is a full on lie. So, um, you know, that's just some, that's just some grandmother advice there. But um, what I would say to you that- You always is, listen yes, to grandmother. <laughs> always listen to grandma. That's absolutely right. So- Two things for that. I would say that, yes, it absolutely does change. Um, people's understanding of diversity does change uh, based on their experience and based on um, their intersectional identities. Um, people in the BIPOC community specifically always want to know if I'm going to have anything interesting to say or I'm going to do any of the real work. Whereas um, people who are neurodiverse are like, are you including me in that conversation? The LGBTQ community, are you including me in this conversation? Yes. I'm including everybody in this conversation. But to answer your first point, when somebody asks me or, or, or lets me know that they're committed to diversity in some way, and, and to be clear, they all tell me that. It's not like anybody walks into my office and says, die, we don't care about diversity. But one of the first things I like to ask is, what do you mean when you say that? Who are you including? Who do you need to work harder to include? How do you know? Are you measuring? Are you looking into these things without me? Do you already know what they are? Do you already know what your pain points are? Or are you just repeating stuff that you hear out in the world? And again, trying to go for that like performative stuff that doesn't really help us advance as a society. But if I get somebody that comes to me with curiosity, like they are sparked about something else, they read a different book, they had a different friend say something and they come to me then, that is somebody that I can always turn into somebody that will go do more research, go look, you know, go for the next book, go for the next podcast, go for the next thing. That's always somebody I want to work with, somebody that's already curious about the next step. You know, one thing that I, I think sometimes is it's easy to say, okay, today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become the champion for, for everyone. All right, 
Okay, cool. You're like just falling to some radioactive stuff. You're a superhero. And all of a sudden, you have the power to really feel and walk in some other person's shoes for, for a long time and really understand how it feels, what it really means to be accepted, refused, felt different somewhere when you really are not. So here comes into play those bias that we do live with that we're born mm -hmm. with. And honestly, yeah, we point to bias in algorithm and artificial intelligence. We don't want that. We don't want but there. That's we for sure. Yeah. You know, we don't want but. But to understand that we can't do this, even if you have all the goodwill in the world. You, I think you start by surrounding yourself as a leader with diverse people because you just can't be experiencing these things. We're not in a metaverse where you, you know, you download the life of someone else. So yeah. does being an ally and take the action means for you, as it means for me, to really start acting and surrounding yourself with people and trust the way they feel, trust the way they want to go and, and put a plan that include everybody in that plan. Well, I mean, yeah, of course, to answer your question, I think that's always the most important thing. I think we should be able to include people not based on these things, right? Not based on these little boxes that we've assigned for humanity. Um, but the problem is the second I start talking about that, the second I start saying, okay, well, we're all equal. There's really no such thing as race. There is such thing as ethnicity, but we're basically talking about phenotypes here. So that's not really real. And then I start getting into that. That's the stuff that people don't want to talk about because people got very clear boxes in their mind. And that's the stuff that they need to, that's the way they need to think about it. But when I, like I said, when I start talking about that, the very next question I will get back is, well, how many of those people are qualified die? And it's like, Okay, that's an interesting way. That's an interesting retort based on the information I'm giving you. Because what you've just told me is that you don't understand that there is such a thing as, as these fake barriers to entry, like you need to go to a top 10 school. I'll put it to you this way. I did not go to a top 10 school. I went to Georgia State University. I did an amazing job. I top of my class, very smart person, right? Like, however, I would not be the type of person that somebody would come recruit. Now, I have managed to get to the, you know, some of the highest levels of tech despite all of this. Do you really think that you don't need to be hiring me and you need to be hiring someone who just like breathes through everything else that they've got going on? How does that make them the best over someone like me? Does that make sense? We have all of these fake narratives surrounding what it means to be the best and it's basically just horse guessing right it's like it's guessing on horse races here because that's 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 what we're talking about when we start thinking about these things and if i just push back on people like hiring managers just a little bit they'll realize that some of these things are just fake things they're just fake check boxes and it's just it's keeping people out of these conversations that we need to be having as 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 a team especially in tech especially when we develop AI, especially when we develop more tech that's going to continue to impact people's lives and society. We need those voices in the room and we can't be keeping them out with arbitrary nonsense. Sorry, I yeah. don't even remember if that was your question. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it was. No, I, th I think I think you nailed it. I think yeah. 
and, and I'm going to bring it back to how I kick this off and, and back to this, but point again, mm. because I, I, what I started with is Marco, we're going to, we're going to fight. And, and <laughs> what I'd like your perspective on is if it is a, but here's the, the rest of the sentence. That's what we really care about. End of discussion. There is no fight. There is no right. conversation. There is no back and forth. There is no coming together to some common ground, some compromise, if you will. Right. To, and, and if you don't have that fight with right. the right people, if you're fighting with yourself, right, right you're going to end up right. in the same place. If you're fighting with somebody yeah. has the same thoughts as you, you're going to end up at a place that doesn't change yeah. anything. So That's absolutely how, right. How do you either see a fight happening successfully or how do you help organizations get into that fight with themselves if and of course i so don't really care to fight in the first place not really well yes and no right like tech the reason i work in tech is because people want to be fought with people like to innovate that way so it's like people think that you get to the best ideas by continuing to strive to the best ideas Nobody ever tells me to slow down in tech. Nobody ever tells me that you're moving too fast or you have to think about this or this or this. Everybody says, this is a problem yesterday. It needs to be solved tomorrow. So, um, you know, to answer your question about the but, yes, it does stop the question. It does, it does, it, 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 of course it stops the question. I mean, I can give you an example. Last year in 2020, one of our big bank CEOs announced to everybody on a Zoom call that you know, of course, we care about diversity, but there are no qualified, um, you know, black candidates in our hiring pool. And he had later admitted that this was based on his own biases and his own internal struggles. But he had a mass exodus of top left talent just from his own biases. And, and the human brain, and, and let's just be clear about biases here. Everyone has biases. I am biased. You are biased. Everyone is biased because it's how the human brain works. The human brain can process up to 40 bits of information on a moment to moment to moment basis. And it is exposed to any number of million bits of information um, on a moment to moment basis. So what happens is between 40 and millions, those that gap in processing speed is taken over by your biases. So your biases existed through evolution to keep your brain safe or keep your body, we don't need them anymore, is my point. So like a lot of the things that we have here need to be examined because they come from a time and a place that were completely wrong for how we think about tech today. Um, anyway, so that's what I think about qualified, that's what I think about those conversations being ended. And I often wonder if we intend to keep having them when people wanna shut them down with like these fake narratives that are so widely, uh, widely passed out, but so, so rarely examined. You know, that's, that's, that's my beef. <laughs> well, the, well, the people in the, the people with the skills that, that uh, demonstrate that whatever those but answers are, uh, they're, yeah. not, they're not there to be part of the conversation. So no, they're that, not there to be wanna... part of the conversation. They're there to shut me down and like level me with some comment that they think I've just never heard before that is just going to stop me in my tracks. Unfortunately, it's always the same low level, like grade one stuff. And I'm always like, you could have you could have Googled this. You could have Googled this opinion. But, you know, here we are. <laughs> so, so I want to bring this to your book, because yeah. if, if the people that we want to have represented aren't represented, mm -hmm. who's there for them? And that I, that's the ally, right? So 
Talk to me about allyship. Right. So allyship from my perspective, I believe that everyone will need to be an ally to a community that they are do not have first person knowledge of at some point in their life to make inclusion effective in our workforces. Now, maybe you're not part of the LGBTQ community. Maybe you're not part of the BIPOC community. Maybe you don't speak a second language, Many, any number of things. Maybe you aren't neurodiverse. I have ADHD. I'm also queer. I'm also Latin. It's like, so maybe you don't have first person knowledge on that, um, on those communities, and you will need to understand what it means to be an ally, know about those issues, be able to say their name in the room, be able to, um, examine the ways in which we aren't getting it done in tech. That's what allyship is. So for the book, I could have talked from cover to cover clearly about my own opinions and my own thoughts. But what made the most sense to me was to examine the things that were happening to people in the field. Um, I didn't use any business names because it was so important to me um, that people not be able to divorce themselves from that. Like if I said, oh, this happened at such and such place, people would be like, oh, F that place. And they would never consider whether or not it was something that could happen in their own workforces. And it allowed people, it allows people to sort of remove themselves from that. And I didn't want that. I wanted people to guess that it could be happening with them. I wanted people to guess at who it was. So um, that's why I did it that way. And we have, like I said, just so many interviews, so many insane things that are happening, so many fictive narratives. Um, so again, I, um, covered the entire employee life cycle. I did things that I see in hiring, things that I see in onboarding, things that I see in culture and, um, people ops, how we hire, how we promote, uh, people don't like to look at how they promote very often. People like to think that their, uh, promotion strategies are entirely based in numbers. And of course that person deserved it. But of course, if you examine them, they're always a little bit subjective. So, um, you know, I just, I went through the entire employee life cycle and I just wanted leaders and people who would want to lead people in the future, especially in tech and biotech, any STEM or technology to, to know about these places where we could be doing better and examine their own, um, you know, thoughts and narratives. So I think I'm going to give you some space because I'm curious to, to hear some examples, you know, maybe you have yes. a couple of highlights, but before we go there, I want to, I want to connect the points with the two things that you said. One, it, it's it's kind of like it's an anthropological observation that you made in terms of when we are part of a, a tribe or a community or even a family, there is always us and the others. And the others right. is that. Yep. Exactly. And that's part of the way that, you know, humans are, we, we are wired like that. So these though cannot be taken as an excuse to say, Hey, I'm just like that. Well, no, that doesn't mm -hmm. work like that. The world is changing. Mm -hmm. We're evolving as a species. So stop that right there. But and I, see, there is a but here too. So all I said before is bullshit. <laughs> no, 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 because it is in the end. I'm like, it's okay, that that's it's true, up, right? It's that, yeah. That's true for for our history, for for the way we're wired, for um, the way we survived. But for mm -hmm. today's society, how do we evolve into the, this more inclusive way? And how 
do we, I don't know, un <laughs> pull the plug from the way that we're wired? change its spots. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think what we can do is start thinking about the ways, I mean, everybody sort of, uh, I don't want to mean everybody, I don't mean everybody. When 2020 happened, I will say that I had a lot more interest from folks in uh, who had just been like, oh my God, I didn't realize this was happening. Now, of course, other folks know that this has been happening for a long time, but I was starting to see sort of different learning styles coming to me for the first time. Um, so I've kind of developed teaching strategies around those learning styles when it comes to allyship and teaching people about inclusion and how we think about inclusion and all of those types of strategies. So what I try to do is examine the places, the pain points, right? Examine the places where people are being held back from workplace to workplace. And they're not always the same. Um, in tech, sometimes it's women. In tech, sometimes it's, you know, um, Netflix, for example, is doing a great job recruiting. And right now they're having difficulty uh, recruiting Latin women. So that's, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's always a different pain point. It's not always the same things. So it's not always the same strategies. But when we, as I say, always start with curiosity, always start by measuring your numbers so you know what you're looking at. Because when somebody comes back to me and they say, Di, our goal is to have a more inclusive workforce, how do you measure that? Do you know what I mean? Like, of course, it's a nice thing to say. I would love to be you know, more inclusive workforces. How do you measure that? How do you know? How are you checking your attrition? How are you, if you're only caring about how many black folks, for example, that you have in your workforce, um, and, and it needs to be 9% because that's your recruiting goal. Are you maintaining those same people year over year, or are you just continuing to recruit in new people that are leaving because your culture is toxic? So I need people, what I do is come in and examine pain points and then start having conversations around, um, hey, did you notice this? <laughs> like did, did maybe you see those things because again it's got to be it's got it can't just be me it has to be the entire team they aren't my goals they're we goals and so, the and the, the why right so the why, if, if your why, why is to check <laughs> all the the reason the why boxes. you need to yeah. look good and, and check all the mm -hmm. boxes then of course yeah you're, you're gonna yeah. You're going to lose all of that, and yeah. that's not why you're that's doing right. it. The why is that you have a better team, you have better people, you create a better company, especially when you are a global company that needs mm -hmm. to perform for all these diverse culture, all these diverse places in the right. world, and, and represent them in the way that you create your product, you make your movies, you make your your, your anything, your content, right. and, and everything else. So, right. um Give us some examples. Um, you mentioned, you know, Netflix or I don't. Know, they had problem hiring yeah, me, a Latin so, woman. I kind of got that because yep. I'm like, okay, yeah. that I'm curious why, and maybe other other relevant highlights that you can. Present. Yeah. So I always say that diversity drives innovation, and the reason I say diversity drives innovation is because we're intending to demonstrate that um, basically. If you have different types of people, you can examine problems from more angles. So um, Scott E. Page, for example, he's an economist. He likes to give an example that um, when you are looking, if you think about this problem, like uh, you've run out of ketchup, 
there's no more ketchup and you need to find something else to go on your food. If you keep your ketchup in the fridge, you will look for condiments that are fridge related. And if you keep your ketchup in the um, cabinet, you will look for condiments that are more often found in a cabinet. Now, that's two different ways to solve a problem, right? Diverse companies are more innovative for that reason. And like I said, I'll give you another example here. YouTube, when it first got started, was having a problem with its uploads. There were like 10 people on the team and they couldn't figure out why about 10% of their videos were uploading upside down. It wasn't a bug, they couldn't find it. Do either of you have any idea what occurs in the human population at about roughly 10%? No. Oh, go ahead, you got it? No, left-handedness. So it turned out that left-handed people were holding their phones like this when they took videos, right-handed people were holding their phones like this when they took videos with the op, op, the op, upside down with the other hand since you can't see me. Um, and, and that was what was causing this issue. But the early team didn't have any left-handed people on it. So they, you know, they couldn't innovate there. They couldn't iterate to that. But um, this is why echo chambers are so crucially, uh, like are, are just a death knell in tech. Because if you think you can't be out-innovated by a company that's more interested in its customers than you, I'd like to introduce you to Blockbuster. Like, that's just the deal. That's just where we are in tech. That's just how it moves. Um, so we need to uh, think gonna, smarter and be better. You. I'm going to pause you, Diane. Yeah. This is interesting. I happen to be left-handed. Not that that matters. but Yeah. No, no. But so this is something that, that intrigues me because do, do companies then need to say we need a certain number of left-handed people and then the next question are is are there companies a high level of left-handed people because I'm that's saying, what need, i would say do we need to hire yeah and so my i guess my follow-up question though which is the real question is that list could be never-ending if we start to identify attributes and and traits of people and put right so how right. do we then if you're thinking about it backwards like that right yeah. if you you so so if you're thinking about it like, okay, well, we didn't have any left-handed people, we need to include more left-handed people, that's not really how we think about it. So it's actually the opposite way. So um, the more people we include, the more opportunity we have to have these conversations and solve these problems in new ways. Twitter, for example, um, is about 30%, uh, their user base is about 30% Black. Black Twitter is, a, is, is the biggest Twitter, right? So. Twitter right now has between six and nine percent black employees at, at their actual at their actual company. Um, and most of those people aren't in high and aren't in the higher end positions. They're in sort of these uh, mid-level or lower positions. So when we think about who is informing Twitter's practices and who is informing um, and, you know, their who their customer base is, they aren't getting all the, they aren't um, meeting their customers' needs in a way that would continue to grow their business and maybe take them off into the stratosphere if they could only consider who their biggest customer base is and, and, and ignite ideas around that for the first time, right? Um, so, I mean, Black Americans, what, $1.2 trillion in buying power, Latin Americans, $1.2 trillion in buying power. It just, it seems, like very silly money wise to be ignoring each other is all I would say to that. Yeah. And, and but Marco, do we have, sorry, Sean, but do, do, I, I need to jump on this, but do we always have <laughs> to 
get to the value of why we do something? Do we ever have to always to get to the money and the business yes. in order to make yes. stuff happen? Yes, yes, yes. Damn it. So to answer I mean... that question, yes, because people will ask me all the time. I will get in a room and somebody will say, and this is literally the sentence, Die, I don't want to hear about the woo-woo side of diversity. And they all say woo-woo. I have no idea why. I don't want to hear about the woo-woo side of diversity. I want to hear about the quote-unquote business case. For diversity. That's how is this affecting my money? That's how is this conversation going to add value to my bottom line? And is that the right way to have conversations about people? Absolutely not. And is DEI constantly telling all of us that we need to stop letting people keep having the business case conversation with us? Yes. But what choice do we have? We all have to have the conversations that get us in the door if we want to have any shot at changing anything. So we aren't psyched about it, but yes, it does. It, it matters, unfortunately. So sticking with this why, and, and I don't know the answer. Oftentimes I think I might and I'll lead with that. But yeah. So the, the why question, why are we doing this? You say it's coming down to money. Oftentimes, uh, perhaps it's other things. But my question is, are we only going to succeed if we have the why asked and answered from everybody? Or is the checkbox with measurements, I've raised my department of uh, women in the business, in, in the company from 10% to 15%, and the, the checkbox is enough. In other words, is the checkbox good enough to start, or do we have to have the why in order for this to, to succeed? So I think you need to have the why. I think the why matters more than almost anything else. Now, regarding checkboxes, um, I hate to, I hate to name drop, I, sorry, or trash talk anybody that's beyond their nonsense. But a few years back, you might remember that Uber got in a lot of trouble with, um, Susan Fowler had written a book called Whistleblower any, any number of years ago. And the problem that they were having there was that they had tied diversity numbers and diversity stats to their manager's overall compensation package. And what was happening was they had a toxic manager there, and this is the point of the story, um, they had a toxic manager there that would laugh about how to lower people's actual, um, lower people's promotions and their, um, their, what do I mean? Lower their ratings at work so that he could keep them on his team and couldn't move, and they couldn't move teams to keep his diversity numbers up and to keep him, keep him getting his bonus. And he would laugh to other people on his team about how to get that done. So no, I've never, I mean, if you tie someone's comp to checkboxes, they are going to find gross ways to fill the checkbox, aren't they? So obviously the why matters more than anything, but yes, I have seen checkboxes get added into, um, you know, tech specs about this stuff and it, it has had um, some negative impact. I'll be honest. The why matters more. The reason I ask that is the why can be hard to identify. Yes, of course. And, of course. and therefore many might choose to not bother. Yes, many do choose to not bother. If they don't, that's, but that's right, right? That's that's the why. If they don't have that why and they come to me and they say, okay, well, I have to do this because somebody made me, how, how's that going to play out? It's like having kids. Like they're not going to do it the right way. They're not going to think about it because they don't want to put that effort in. They're already thinking that this is a waste of their time and their money and their effort. And that's going to push back on everything else that you try to do. So sometimes people will say to me, oh, well, see this, you know, we're not racist. This just doesn't work. And it's like, 
okay, well, you're not following, you're following the letter of the law, but not really the spirit. And then you're pushing back and saying, this doesn't work. So, you know, um, we've seen a lot of that in tech too. A lot of people trying to do it on their own, um, not really wanting to do it, not really wanting to spend the money on it, not wanting to, not really caring about the why um, and running into big people problems because they didn't bother. So let's, I think it's crucially important for all people. Yeah. Is that one why or is many whys? The why for inclusion can be many whys. We all come to our why for inclusion in our own way. My why for inclusion is the story I just told you. I have a friend of mine um, who comes to the uh, DEI. His why for DEI is that he is a uh, veteran. I have a friend who um, is hard of hearing from the capital D deaf community. Um, his why, very different. We all come to that place of being excluded from a different space, but that's the authenticity that drives the why forward. So it doesn't have to be the same why. It just has to be an authentic why. It has to be a non-performative why. It has to be a real reason. So can you can we tell maybe as we start wrapping this that, uh, and I don't know if that's the, the, the answer in the book or not, but you know, maybe we'll, we'll close with some advice that, that you have sure. in the book on how to be a good uh, ally. But I'm thinking like connected with, with the why is, as you said, it doesn't, it doesn't matter as long as you have a reason to do something good. For me, the why, it really is empathy. So mm -hmm. for me, yeah, that applies to everyone, is. right? So yes. I, I don't need to have a personal experience. I don't need to have that. For me, that is, we all deserve that. But maybe Absolutely. I'm very romantic. Maybe I'm very No, idealistic. no, you're just not in the trenches. So in the trenches, people will say whatever they want to say to me, right? But like, there are definitely like people that are level five. They're just cruising along. Oh, yeah, Di, I totally get this. This is how we be inclusive because it's better for humans. Cool. That's perfect. I love that. Like, I love people like yourself. I will continue having this conversation until I am dead. But there are definitely people that don't want to be moved and have their own reasons for that and will push back on me uh, with not the real reason. I like to say the problem is not the problem. So right. what they're telling me is the reason is not really the reason I'm getting the pushback. And I have to be I have to be smarter than that, unfortunately, or fortunately. <laughs> so g give us to to end these some actionable advice or tips for if you're in the position that you have to push someone to have this fight to find yeah. that why yeah how, how are we yeah. fighting these people because obviously we're not fighting because you know we, we agree <laughs> <laughs> which is great right, right. but right. obviously this is also not um everybody right we're not everybody we're not our user right that's what we say in tech you're not your user um yeah, so let me give you some action items and, and see how they hit you. So some of the things that, and I'll go, I'll go from, um, let's say, from recruiting up to how we think about leadership as fast as I can here. Um, some of the things you can do about for recruiting, look up the happy thirds rule. So recruiters like to say that we should be getting, you know, a third of our, a third of our job uh, hires our candidates from um, applications, a third of them from recruiting and a third of them from internal sources. A lot of times in startup communities where I work, we will have a lot more of them coming from internal ref uh, referrals. So people who have worked together before will be referring people that they've worked with before, which leads to largely white male tech teams. So that's one of the things that we need to think about, how we expand um, our jobs and not just 
hiring the people that we find in our hiring pools, but expanding that opportunity and thinking about how to expand that opportunity to people who aren't getting to our hiring pools themselves. That's for hiring. Next thing for onboarding, we need to be thinking about how we onboard and how we think about candidates in the context of their actual lives. So if you've got a mother, you might want to be thinking about whether there are schools nearby, whether there are, um, you know, whether there are places to worship or market nearby, all of the things that that person is going to need because we had 3 million women and caregivers leave the workforce last year over the course of the pandemic. And we are going to need to claw those jobs back with things like returnships or internships or, or um, remote work. All of those things are going to become increasingly important. Um, next on to culture, your culture needs to be intentional. It cannot just come from happy accidents of your, uh, of your C team, you know, um, playing air hockey together. That's gonna lead to toxicity and it's not gonna be fun. As an example, I was I had somebody who had previously worked for a pretty big uh, Fang tech team who had trouble recruiting and uh, had me look at their job description. And one of their benefits was that they had hot tub parties. And I was like, who is going to look at this? Who is going to? Are you kidding me? Like, was this really worth my time? I mean, thanks for the thanks for the fee, I guess. Yeah, um, if you're if you're in an animal house, probably. <laughs> right, right in the in the eighties past anyway exactly right right that's not even how we do it anymore as millennials gross okay so there's that um think about people anyway think about real things and stop like trying to turn your workforces into playhouses and start thinking about how you really want your people uh to live when they're at work um next thing in terms of how we promote uh, look at your promotion strategies, make sure that they are not uh, falling victim to biases such as Regency bias or any of those types of things. There are many articles if you don't want to buy my books that you can look up. Um, next thing I would say sponsorship over mentorship. So women in tech, a lot of times we are over mentored, but under sponsored. The difference is, when we are mentored, what's happening is we have sounding boards and all of those things. When we are sponsored, we have people who are saying our name when we aren't in the room, people making sh making those phone calls to make sure we advance when we deserve it. Um, and when we are met with uh, sort of these barriers that are uh, totally, you know, fake, um, they will be those people that are sort of breaking those down with us. So I would be, I would, I'll take a sponsor every time over a mentor. So those are some of the just, you know, five hot things that you can do right now or examine in your own workforce if you don't want to buy my book. But if you do want to buy my book, I mean, I go through it point by point by point with the data. There's over 200 footnotes. Um, and then at the end of my book, I've given you next step action items um, and other BIPOC creators that you can follow. So realistically, level zero, um, that hopefully sparks future uh, curiosity, I guess. Um, that's what I am. That's what the book is. Does that answer your question? No. Can you can you say it again? Oh yeah, I definitely. It does. <laughs> it does but but no, right? It does. But also, have you considered this? <laughs> no, I get it a lot. It's just fine. Kidding, um, just kidding. Just kidding. No, please. Anytime. I, I love. No, no, no. I, I have no buts here. I have no buts. You have no buts. No buts. Um, so what I'm, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna steal from uh, another guest that we had on Scott Olson. Uh, we were talking yeah. about leadership, and he used the mm -hmm. word fascination. Be fascinated. Fascination. I yes. And, Be and fascinated. To me, that that's what this is. 
And mm-hmm. I, I believe in, in how you describe that in, in being a leader, that that applies here. Um, mm-hmm. You can't just be interested. You can't just be curious. You can't just be passionate. I think, I think it requires yeah. a fascination of why. Why do we do yes. this? And a curiosity, a constant curiosity that continues having you come back to the well to look for more and more information because each thing that you find, you'll run into this next barrier and you're like, Ooh, why does this live here? This is dumb. And then go do that research and be like, die. Did you see this book? You know? And, and that's how it goes for people who have like, you know, who are in my sphere of influence, I guess they'll be sparked by one thing and then go on for the next eight things. And that's what I love to do. Um, and, and I'm going to close with this because we haven't yeah. talked a lot of tech, but you, <laughs> you've used the word innovation a lot. Yes, and I, I do. Think there, there are a lot of parallels here where, I mean, we, we get excited about building something new and fun and unique. And I can see that applying to this. And if that happens, the, the, the diversity of thought that you get just then amplifies and propels and, and multiplies the innovation that you'll get from that, I, I think. Over and over and over. Yeah. yeah just outstanding potentials there. Uh, Absolutely. So we get too. out of our and way think- that this is just about a person that looks different and we can mm-hmm. innovate on how we include everyone. I think. Yeah. We need to stop thinking about this as a race issue for, um, you know, people who consider themselves light-skinned to empathize with and we need to start thinking about this as an issue that we are holding in place um, for whatever reason and we need to start examining why things are the way they are um, and start breaking down these um, systemic issues. Yep, I'll say at the end of the day you got to be open and and hopefully be inspired as Sean as, uh, as Scott said it it's it's about seeing the success of your team being your success. And I just can't, yeah. in my mind, to see uh, contrast and, and, and disagreement and, and uh, leaving people outside not to be something that you can go to bed at night and say, hey, you know what? I really did a good job as a leader because no, you're telling I yourself agree. a bunch of BS. So yeah, with that in mind, yeah. let's let nobody's perfect, but we can all get better. And I right. think that we can by, all get better. by reading, by listening to this kind of conversation, reading the book like mm-hmm. the one that you wrote, and uh, we're not going to stop here. So stay tuned on uh, ITSP Magazine, on Audio Signals, and there will be notes and links to uh, your book, this book. Thank you. Thank you for being a wonderful, uh, wonderful guest. Thank you for having me. This has been such a fun conversation. I honestly don't want it to end. I know. Well, I know, but I'm bringing down the clock and it's okay. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> but we may have it again. Maybe you can join I'm, us again. I'm around. I'm around. I'd love to. All right. To. Thank you Thanks so much. My pleasure. Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net.
Nintex is the global standard for business process management and automation. The Nintex platform helps their clients accelerate progress on their digital transformation journeys by quickly and easily managing, automating, and optimizing business processes. Learn more at Nintex.com. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you learned something new and this story made you think, then share ITSB Magazine with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our columns. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. <laughs>